Support for Jazzed About Work comes from Ohio University's online master's degree in sustainability, security, and resilience. Does your organization or community have a workable plan for when a catastrophe strikes? This 18-month online degree program will give you the skills you need to prepare for, respond to, and recover from natural disasters and other crises. Participants earn three stackable certificates in community risk and resilience, change management and leadership, and planning resilient systems leading to a full master's degree. Students learn cutting-edge skills in sustainability assessment and entrepreneurship, sustainable agriculture, energy policy, and more. This is an exciting growing field, and no GRE test is required to apply. For more information, follow the link in the description on this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm a career coach, and I write about being happy and successful at work. One skill set that can make you more successful on almost any career path is the ability to sell. Whether you're promoting a product or an idea or yourself, sales skills can make a huge difference. So, I am delighted that today's guest is my favorite sales expert, Connie Whitman. Connie is high energy, passionate, enthusiastic. She's a teacher, a coach, a consultant, and a podcaster. For more than 20 years, Connie's company, Changing the Sales Game, has been helping businesses and individuals to improve sales by enhancing their communication skills. Many others have become better at selling by reading Connie's books, particularly my favorite, ESP, easy sales process. Connie will share tips from that book, including about how to overcome buyer resistance. She'll explain the magic of really listening, and she'll suggest other ways you can tweak your communication skills and master some of the sales basics. Connie, it is great to have you back at Just About Work. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Bev. I'm excited, and I think we're going to have our usual amazing conversation. <laughs> I think so. And and I, I have um, a big question for you to start with. It's not about your area of expertise. It's about your life. When you were last on Jazzed About Work, it was about four years ago, mm-hmm. not long before COVID. And what really struck me I remember it vividly is what a people person you are. And I could just see you out there talking with clients and in a classroom and coaching and doing all of those things in person. To me, you really seem like somebody who connects with people when you get together in a room and then came COVID. And so what I was wondering about is, am I right that you really like to be with other people, but then what happened to your business? What happened to your style when all of a sudden everything changed? It's, can I tell you, it's, a, it's such a good question. And here's the deal, Bev, right? We know you and I are our peers and life is life. 
and curveballs hit us. So what do you do? And it was funny because, um, you were right. Everything prior to COVID, my business, I had been in business about 19 years at that point. I had done live. So I network live. I spoke live at events. Um, I trained my clients. It was live. So then COVID hit and the world shut down. And here was the scary thing. We didn't know how long if we, you know, we play back, you know, in March of 2020, none of us knew how long this COVID thing, what it was and how long it was going to last. So I remember saying to my husband, and oh, by the way, so we, I had no income coming in, two kids in college, and my husband's company oh. closed, not because of COVID, but they had closed. So talk about the, 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 the rug being pulled out. Holy smokes, not a happy time, I'll tell you that, and stress no. was at an all-time oh. high. Yeah, life, but this is life. So here's, I, I tease every time I share the story because we, thank goodness, we had saved for a rainy day, and man, it was raining cats and dogs. <laughs> when COVID hit. So thank goodness we yeah. had money set aside that we were able to survive. So that is always my first tip. Second thing I said to my husband, I don't know anything about this digital world. And they're talking Zoom and Teams and 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 getting, I had my podcast, which I had been doing using Zoom. So I was a little familiar, little is the operative word here. So I literally started working 12 hour days, seven days a week, taking as many classes and educating myself on things I did not know. So I'd hear something and I thought, oh, I don't know what that is. Is that relevant to my business of what will be my new business coming out of COVID? And so I was pivoting. I tease Bev. I said, I was pivoting so hard. My hips hurt. Coming <laughs> 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 in so many directions. But I'll tell you that education served me because now I have a digital presence. All my programs are digitized. I have workbooks that are fillable with videos. And so it, it, it expanded my business exponentially. So literally, and then now in 2022, everything came back to life. So I'm doing my live stuff, but what I'm finding my clients were doing hybrid. They like a little live, but then we're whittling down the skill development into mini courses almost so that because it's on zoom, how easy is that, that we can fit in our whole day plus the training component. So it's been exponentially beneficial for my, what were my live clients, but also now I created another division, which is my small business owners, which I had never worked with before who I met right networking during this COVID event. So life changes. How are you responding? For me, it always goes back to learn. What don't you know? You have blind spots, fill in those blind spots, learn and grow, and then deliver and fill in the blank, whatever it is next that you need to deliver. I think learn something new is is what I always say to myself when I'm stuck or um, something doesn't feel right. But it is more than even getting the information. It's energizing, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. It's it's a positive thing to do, and you feel good when you learn new things. And so, at a time w which is scary and maybe depressing, the the learning process can be actually fun and reinforcing. Did you feel that, that, that you got excited again, even before things started to turn around? 
Yes. And it was funny because during that networking, I met someone, I had written a book and my kids were young at the time. So I kind of put it on the shelf. And then I thought, well, I have the time. Let me get this thing published. So I hired an editor, cover, the whole thing. And then I was networking and talking to someone. And she says, well, what, who are you using? I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know what the heck next step is. I just know I have this book, but what do I do now? So she, <laughs> divine intervention, Beth, she introduced me to the now this person I've worked with four times. So I've published four books um, since COVID and all of them became number one international bestsellers. Not because I'm special, because they had a system and I just tapped into their system. So yes, it was exciting because I had never published a book. I didn't know how to publish a book and now four-time international bestseller. So it's beautiful. It feels so good to learn, but then to execute. Learning's great. Information's great. What are you doing with it? That's where the magic happens. Well, it is um, exciting to, to have to be doing things in a, a new way. But one of the things that I um, have noticed about you is that you also can help people really focus on the basics. I've, I've heard you on uh, YouTube and places and just basically saying, all right, here, here are the things you have to know if you're going to start learning about selling. So yep. after now you have all of these new skill sets and tools and so forth, but are there still some basics that you could share with our listeners? Like if somebody is maybe they're in a job and they're a little intimidated or nervous because they have to pitch something. It could be mm -hmm. a new product, but it could just be their an idea or or their possible um, opportunity to do something. Do you have some basic sales tips that are always the same and don't depend on technology? They're just human basics? Yeah. So it's interesting. I hired a business coach, right? As now, remember we had no income coming in and I was spending money and I, my husband, we, cause I don't do, I never, ever do anything in a vacuum. I include my, my husband in, in the decision-making, especially when you're spending a lot of money and we had no income coming in. Um, thank goodness we had the savings, but I had to hire a business coach and it was interesting, Bev, exactly what you just said. He, I, I thought I knew nothing because I didn't know the digital world. And as he was describing different things to me, I said, oh, so that's just the preparation of the sales process. Oh, that's communicating part of the sales process. Oh, and he kept laughing. And I said, so I guess I know more than I thought I did. So here's the thing, we, what I have found, right, humans, we all have that negative record player. And it's exactly what you said, that fear is real. It kicks in and we go to the negative record player. I can't do that. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. No one's going to hire me. No one knows who I am in this digital realm. And it goes on and on and on. We have yeah. to learn how to lower the volume. So here's some just basic um, tips. So I have a seven-step process. It's simple and it's easy to rinse and repeat. And when I started my business now 22 years ago, I remember sitting down and thinking, well, I was good in sales for 20 years. How did, how did I do it? What was my process? Did I have a process? And I came up with the seven steps that was tangible, understandable, and then execute executable um, because it's simple to understand. So the first one is... And I see this, I, I think, way too often. You have to go in prepared. So whether your sales is your job, part of your job, or you have to communicate with executive CEO or division heads, 
fear is real and we think, oh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. And then we go and we create PowerPoints or, or tangible assets to go and share. And it's too much information. So when we're in front of people, what do they need to know? You have to keep it simple. Otherwise we overwhelm. So keep it simple. All of that though, if you're prepared, you can keep it simple, do the, the big picture overview, and then the people are going to ask you questions. And that's where you start to get into the minutia because what they're interested in might be different than what you think they're going to be interested in. So preparation is really important. The second thing, and I think this will help everyone. And I think I sent you the link. I have a communication uh, style assessment that I created probably about eight years ago. So it was pre-COVID. Doing what we do, again, whether you work for a corporate job, your own business, or you're a sales professional, we have to communicate with other humans. And what I find is in sales, because we think we're the expert, we talk at people instead of with people. And so by understanding how, like what my natural communication superpowers are, that then I can lean into and use to my advantage. But the flip side, Bev, is that we have blind spots in our communication style. So people who communicate 180 degrees different than us, our message is not landing the way it would land with, um, uh, the, the message isn't landing the way I hoped it would because I'm not talking the way they need to receive messaging. So by using this communication model, it's like understanding a tangible tool of this is how I communicate. This is how, and I'll give you a tangible example here. So I fire fast. You could tell, right? I speak fast. Yeah. I like big picture. Don't give me details. I'll make a decision without a ton of details. Well, one of my clients is an architect. Uh, guess what? I have to slow way down, not because he's stupid, he's brilliant, but because if I fire like this, he misses three quarters of what I'm saying. He can't process it. So I need to give him bites. I need to see how I'm slowing down my energy. Well, that's what he needs from me. So understanding that communication model is very powerful, that my message will always land Again, whether it's an executive on my team, an employee on my team, a new client, doesn't matter. Use family members for, for that. Uh, Bev, this is a great tool for family members. You create ease and harmony with how we communicate, but you have to have a tool to be able to do that and be mindful of all communication. And then the third one, and then unless you want to ask me a question, because th I know. No, no, go ahead. This is great. Okay. The third biggest blind spot I see with people um, is lack of follow-up. We leave so much money on the table. We leave great ideas and innovation on the table because of that fear of speaking up. We have to share what we know and then follow up. And the rule of thumb, unfortunately, um, it, we're just in such a noisy marketplace between social media um, classes, just there's noise. There's noise everywhere we go in our personal lives. We don't have any downtime unless we're able to carve that out. So we're, we're running. And what happens is the, the follow, the follow up falls through the cracks because, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I'll tell you me personally, cause I am a pit bull with my follow up. If I tell you, I'm going to follow up with you Friday at 10 AM, I'm following up with you Friday at 10 AM. People will say, ah, she won't care. I'll tell you, me personally, because I've become so diligent with it. If you tell me you're going to follow up with me on Friday and then you don't follow up for three or four days later, 
I won't do business with you. If you can't deliver a simple follow-up message or is everything okay, do you have any more questions, whatever the agreed upon follow-up looks like, and you don't do it, why would I do business with you? What does that mean when you get my business? You're certainly not going to follow up with me. So you see how people leave money on the tables. It's innocent. I'm not saying we do this. It's a blind spot, but we have to do diligent follow-up. I th that is really good advice. I, I do think that people have become more casual, uh, maybe just because the communication world is so complex now mm -hmm. uh, that lots of times people skip meetings or, you know, don't even let you know because their lives are chaotic and, you know, they just don't get around to it. But a way you can strengthen your situation, no matter what path you're on, is if you always do what you uh, said you're going to do and follow up. If for some reason um, you need a change, you you hit it that instantly, right? That's really Absolutely. good advice. Absolutely. So Here's the other thing you, you just mentioned, Bev, I want to comment on, um, you know, my husband and my boys, they work for corporations. And my one son, it's so funny because he says, you know, we have these team meetings and they send the invite out. And of course he accepts. And he says, people don't accept until like the minute of that they're getting in the meeting. And he needs to know in advance because sometimes he has to come prepared with something for Bev. So it frustrates him. And I, I said, I, I don't, to me, it's part of the follow-up. But if you get an invite or somebody sends you an email or a LinkedIn message, really behooves you to respond to them because you don't know what the ripple effect is with that person or with that conversation or with that higher up or within the organization. So I say, I say to my kids, can't control others. You can control you. You make sure you never miss joining a meeting or if you're not going to be able that you let them know why you can't or whatever, communicate, 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 because it makes you relevant and people will rely on you then. And you're going to stand out because there's so much noise out there. Those that aren't doing what they should be doing stand out. Those that are exceeding what the expectation is, they stand out. So we really have a lot of power, Bev, I think with this technology now. So we do have a lot of new tools, but mm -hmm. I, I think there's an understanding implicit in everything you're saying. And I just want to reiterate that, that sales is based on communication and focusing on the potential buyer. Is that right? That's, that's really, so it's not something magic or something that only a few people can have. It's inherently human communicating yes. to cause something to happen is a human process, right? Yes. It, think of it this way, Bev, too. You think of an iceberg, right? Really, really human communication is that top, the tippy, tippy top of the iceberg, which is about 5% of our communication, which is very conscious. Like you and I, we're speaking English to each other, right? We're, we're creating hopefully valuable content. You have questions prepared for me. All of that is very conscious and deliberate. Well, guess what? 95% of human communication is subconscious. So if we're not tapping into that, the emotion through communication, but if we're not tapping into that, we're, we're losing sales, we're losing 
visibility. We're losing our thought, if we're a thought leader out there, but we're sitting quiet because other people are more verbal in a meeting. Um, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because people need to feel what you're about. And that's how people, that's really how we make decisions. And it's all really at the subconscious level. So we need to tap into that. Well, this brings us to a, a, another uh, key thing of what I think of as your formula, and that is that you really focus on the audience, on the potential buyer, and try to figure out where they are. And I think sometimes when we're trying to get a sense, we're trying to really listen and get a sense uh, from the person we're trying to sell to, what we feel is resistance. Sometimes buyers have resistance. And so how can we go further than that? I mean, you know, it's there, but what is that resistance and how can we address it? That's part of your process, isn't it? Kind it of addressing yeah. buyer resistance? Yes, it absolutely is. So here's the thing. We're human and we've watched movies like Wolf of Wall Street and Madoff. I think they called that movie with De Niro, The Wizard of Wall Street. And there's many more, right? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross from I think it was the 90s. But it's it's that hard sell. Always be closing. You know, rip the client off. It's a win-lose situation. We're taught that. So think about in the old days, um, the, the snake oil salesman, you know, the other snake oil salesman has a negative connotation because they'd blow into town, send their, you know, sell their garbage, and then they blow out of town. So this is what we're taught at a, again, it's subconscious. So how do we break down that resistance? So there's five layers of resistance that I have found through my 40 years in sales. Um, there's five distinct layers, and our job is to break down each layer logically one at a time. And if you think you can skip and jump to the third barrier, you've lost the sale. So we have to be very logical and and deliberate in in our process, right? It's just it's a process that you can rinse and repeat. So do you want me to go through the five? Yes, layers? please. Sure. So the first layer is the time. So that goes back to the preparation. If when I come into a client, I am so ready, Beth, because I have my agenda prepared. And by the way, that agenda was created 22 years ago when I started my business, right? So it's, it's, it's rinsed and repeated. I know it works. I use it and I'm going. I don't have to spend a lot of time on that. So that preparation is coming in. And now I am so aware of the client's time that I'm not wasting time, that I'm diving right in, showing them I'm a professional, I know what I'm doing, and I am here to serve you. And they are they that first layer goes down immediately because they see the value right out of the gate of what you're bringing to the table because you're prepared. So you're on the clock, literally you're on the clock as soon as you say hello and shake the person's hand. Second layer is our ability to build that connection. That's that human connection. That's the communication piece of it, right? And that you guys have my communication uh, link that Bev will, will put in the show notes. So if I understand who that person is, again, prep part of preparation, they're all connected. All of these uh, barriers, they, we can break them down. If we do it in an organized fashion, they break down together, if you will. So the second one is if I come in and I communicate the way they need to hear my messaging, right? Fast forward, they're like, oh, she gets me. She's, she's speaking my language. Barrier's gone. 
Then the third one is it's all about the client. So this is where we have to, my agenda or my questions. And I give the agenda to my client and I say, Hey, part of the preparation that they know I'm val their time is going to be uh, valuable, right. To, to meet with me, they're meeting with me, right. My message is landing. And now they have my agenda with my questions. They know where I'm going. They look at it and think, this, this one, she knows her stuff, but here's the more important thing. When they see the questions and we start having a conversation, it's not 20 questions. It's a conversation. They, they see the value because now they go, this chick knows her stuff. She is good. These are great questions and it gets them talking. And then the fourth step is, am I receiving their message back to me, which is the listening component. So if my questions are really good and I engage and I have this beautiful conversation, what should end up happening is we don't go through my agenda, one, two, three, four, we're jumping all around and we're having this great conversation. They're giving me information. I'm filling in the blanks on my agenda and I'm not stopping them because I want to hear what they have to say. So at this point, I'm listening 70% of the time and I'm only talking 30%. So this allows the client to say, she cares about me. She understands me. She's a great listener. And then here's where you know and where the client can feel, right, that 95% subconscious. By me actively listening, I'm able to ask follow-up questions that are imperative for me to know so I can customize my solution that's going to be specific to their situation right here, right now as well as set myself up for a planning partner of things that are going to come in the next three months, six months, year, two years, five years, whatever it is. So then the last barrier is if I've done those four really well, by this point, the client is eager to either work with you because they think she gets me. This is ridiculous. And my solution now is so spot on because I did those four steps. When I give my recommendation by the end, the client just looks at me and says, where do I sign? So asking for the business becomes almost a non-event. It's almost anticlimactic because I, I did such a good job breaking down those five layers of the client that now it's, I call it the objectionless buyer. They're always there but we have to earn the privilege of being able to talk to the objectionless buyer so they can make an informed decision. And then one last thing I want to add, Bev, because I'm sure you have questions. Three things happen at that point. One, the client, I broke down the layers, the objectionless buyers there, and they're saying, where do I sign? Oh my gosh, we should have been doing this a year ago. Eager, right? They know it's a good match. Second thing that happens is I say to the client, you have so many other things. You're not going to be able to put the effort into the sales piece until you have all of the foundation of your website, whatever it is, right? So I say, you're not ready for me. Let's stay in touch. Let me talk to your marketing. Let's come up with a plan, but we're really not going to put the, the rubber hit the road for three months, whatever that is. So they're still in my pipeline. They're still doing business with me. They're just not ready for my stuff because I don't like to sell and then have uh, refunds because the timing was off. So I just say, you're not ready for me, but I tell them why. And the last one is I say, I'm not the right person for everything you we just talked about. Beverly, you actually want my friend, Joanne, who specializes in XYZ. Notice objection wasn't one of them because I'm in front of the objectionless buyer. All right. That is, uh, that's really powerful stuff. And, um, 
You know, one of the things that strikes me about your approach to sales is that it is very much um, like the approach of people who are not selling, but are networking, which is often the start. So there seems to be a link between sales and networking, but also the, the way you approach people is similar. And that is you listen and you let them do more of the talking. Do you, uh, in your classes and your coaching, do you talk about networking as kind of an early phase of sales or is networking not something that you coach people on? It's so funny. Right before we recorded this, I taught a class for a um, window company. They do the films over the wind windows for um, bullet uh it, it repels the bullet. It's not bulletproof, but also for privacy in your home. So I was just uh -huh. teaching uh, franchise owners that. And networking is huge because if I don't network, I'm the best kept secret. Well, that's not a good thing. <laughs> so no. you have to be on podcasts. You have to network live and virtually. Um, you have to have a valuable value statement so that people after the fact want to connect with you. We have to have that ripple effect, but we have to have action to create a ripple effect. So yes, networking is imperative. We need to meet new people all the time. With that said, Bev, we cannot forget. That's why that follow-up is important because people I've met, like you, we've been in contact for almost five years now that we've been on each other's shows. Um, we reach out to each other for help with different things. It's relevant. We become, you know, if there's an opportunity, we can refer to each other because we know deeply and intimately, not in a weird way, but we know what each other's about. I trust you. You trust me. You know, I'm not going to rip your people off. You're not going to rip my people off. We have to come from this place of love, care, and respect. And the only way we can do that is by talking to people, meeting people, showing people what we're about before we even have the privilege of talking to the objectionless buyer. Yeah. And I want to reemphasize something you said earlier. When we're when we say I'm going to be talking with that person, what we're really saying lots of time is I'm going to go in and start a conversation and I'm going to be listening to that person. Correct. And I don't even have a goal for now. I just want to get to know this person, but I know if I have an idea of what they're struggling with or um, uh, where they're trying to go, that something might happen. My listening to them could be an opportunity down the road. Is that what you teach your, I, I, I'm kind of fascinated because I know you have like a, you have sales process classes and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out what would be in the process. And it sounds like the process does start with the networking and then you get into the, you know, dealing with specific buyer questions. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is. There's a flow to it a hundred percent. And I'll share a really quick story. So I was referred to, um, I work with a lot of banks and credit unions nationally, and I was referred to this bank and, um, I have my seven step process. So they had sent out a mailing and this bank responded and they want it, to, it's, it's quite a large project. And so they said, yeah, we want to do it, but can she do it just for our people instead of, you know, for other banks and credit unions? So, the answer, of course, is sure. Of course, I can do that. But I said to the person referring, I need to meet with them first. And she said, well, why? They want it. And I said, but is it the right thing for them? I don't know. I, do I don't know what they're looking What is their objective? And until I understand that, I don't want to say this is the right solution. Maybe we could come up with something even better. 
So fast forward, we're still in the in the midst of of speaking, right, for budget because budgets are real with with corporations, and it ended up being more depth. Yes, we're going to do the program, but then we had to do a coaching piece and a business development piece. So we, it ends up being it's probably going to be a multi year contract. But if I had just said, sure, I could do that. I'm not listening. I I don't really know what they want or need until I have a conversation with the executive team to say, what is the objective? Why are you spending this money? What is the outcome you're desiring as it relates in my case to sales? And after talking, they were like, holy crap, there's multi layers to this onion. Yeah. So let's figure, but let's figure it out. So we don't waste time and money and make sure we move the needle and help your employees do a better job with their clients. Every time we speak, I walk away thinking, I wish I could buy something from her. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't, you don't have a product that I need right now, but I find you so persuasive because you, no matter what we talk about, you keep going back to what does the buyer need? What's their situation? What have I heard? What are their problems? Am I the right fix? I think that's a, that's a brilliant mindset for getting anything done. Now, I am willing to bet that we have uh, listeners out there and they're thinking, ah, boy, she's good at sales, but I wish I had some sales skills. I don't even know where to begin and I can't afford to hire somebody like Connie. If somebody is just starting to think that maybe they should develop some uh, sales skills and they don't know where to begin. Now, I've already mentioned your book, ESP, Easy Sales Process, but I bet there's some things people could start today. How can somebody start just being more attuned to what sales is all about? It, great question. So a uh, couple of things. They, I post, my, I have my podcast, right? Bev, you were on it. So we're posting that. So link, join me on LinkedIn or Facebook if that's where you play. Um, but I post my shows weekly. So that's free, beautiful content. And it's not just me talking, right? We have these beautiful, Bev, you and I had a great conversation and it was this nice back and forth. So you'll, you'll not only hear my tips, but other brilliant people around the world. So that would be number one. Um, number two, if you go to my website, changing the sales, plural salesgame.com, and you'll put that in the show notes, I'm sure. People, my uh, communication style assessment is on that page. My program and the outline, what Bev and I just talked about, it's written out on that on that website on the page, so that you could start to dig in and develop the skills. But my first thing would be connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll get free resources there. Second thing, the book I have it on my website. There's a page. Um, and it's, it's my book and I, I sell it for four ninety seven. It's the digital version. So it's even cheaper than Amazon. Of course you can get the hard copy on Amazon. So I try to make it affordable Bev for people who are looking to improve skills. It's another resource for them. And then the communication style assessment, understand, get those reports, understand how you're communicating. It will make a difference. Trust me, just that one piece of the puzzle will make a huge difference, especially if you work for an organization and you're trying to share new product information or you're trying to share an innovation or an idea, that communication style assessment will be huge for you. So they would be the three things I would do, but go on my website. There's a whole bunch of stuff there as well. Okay. Well, that'll be in the notes. And uh, 
you have a lot of free content there. So I'm, uh, I think people will enjoy learning from you. I always enjoy learning from you, Connie. Thank you so much for, um, joining me here again and, um, jazzed about work. And I feel kind of inspired. I want to go out and sell something myself. So (laughs) I love it, Bev. You cracked me up. Thank you so much for having me on. And I I truly, you know, you know, I want to inspire. I want to teach. I want people to say, I got this. This is easy because it really is just develop the skills and it becomes super easy. Well, they can learn a lot for you and we can all practice together. Thanks a lot, Connie. I hope that we talk again soon. You got it. Thank you. Today we've been speaking with sales expert Connie Whitman about overcoming buyer resistance and making the sale. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. And our sponsor is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University. Today's tip is that making a sale begins with focusing on the potential buyer. Before starting a pitch, listen carefully and learn about their problems. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work, and if you like the show, please tell your friends about us, and maybe even give us a five-star rating.